Wired for Winning. Celebrating the extraordinary minds of those with ADHD. Hey, good evening and good morning from New Zealand today, everybody who's listening to Wired for Winning. This is episode six. We have Annie Ramiros with us uh, today. I'll say today because, as I said, it's the evening for me and the morning for herself. Annie is based in New Zealand, just north northwest of Wellington, I believe, actually, and was another late diagnosis to ADHD. So also working as a coach, an ADHD coach and an executive coach before that, and actually has a, a, a quite a long presence. Annie, you're very welcome to this podcast, Wired for Winning. Thank you so much for getting up early. Um, much appreciated. Yeah. I'd love to hear your story, as I'm sure everybody else is. Um, so please go ahead and uh, and talk away to us. Yeah, it's really nice to uh, be chatting to you, George. I really appreciate you reaching out to me. And as I was just saying to you before you pressed record, um, you know, it's a great, it's got me out of bed because we're coming into our big, long six-week summer holidays here down under. And uh, yeah, it's good, you know, um, to get up and get out. Um, Yeah, I, you know, and, and I was also saying to you before, it's just great to be chatting to another ADHDer because there's just something... Uh, so akin and magnetic when we get together. And, isn't it? It's, um, a, it's a tribe, isn't it? It's a tribe, and it's like um, and and kind of it's an understanding, and it's a cool energy, and um, and and I feel like when we get together, we can have a really you know grunty, raw, real fast conversation. We get to kind of the guts of things very, very quickly. And I've always been like that. But um, more recently, obviously, since my diagnosis, and particularly in 2021, I realised it's quite an ADHD thing as well. Uh, And so, yeah. And so I love love now that I'm working pretty much solely with people um, in business and professionals with ADHD because we can move really, really quickly in the coaching. Um, so that's really, really great. But yeah, my story, I mean, it's the real, it's, it's my, um, my diagnosis was the classic pipeline um, to an ADHD diagnosis as a midlifer, and particularly a midlifer, um, you know, woman and mum, right? So uh, I had my children who were then sort of 16 and 14, my teenagers, both okay. come to me. This was about three years ago, um, on separate occasions, completely independently. Um, hadn't they hadn't spoken to each other, saying, "Hey, mum, I reckon I might have ADHD." So my oldest, who's now eighteen, he came to me first and said that I'm like, "No," I was like, "It doesn't have ADHD." It's like I was just thinking, like to myself, you know, oh, they want to get these young teenagers. They want to get hold of Ritalin to do a bit of snorting in the weekend with their mates. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, just didn't think anything of it. And a few months later, my, uh, that was my son, my um, daughter, who was probably about 14 at the time, she said, hey, mum, I reckon I might have ADHD. And I'm like, oh, why do you think that is? She goes, oh, you know, and she kind of like, you know, showed me a TikTok video with, you know, just a, a bunch of kind of like classic symptoms. And I'm like, oh, really? I don't see that in you. And again, I was kind of like, I just dismissed it. I can't believe this is only three years ago, George. And then, oh my God, so much has happened since then. And then 
A couple of months after that, completely separately, my, uh, he would have been eight my at the time, he's now 10, my eight-year-old's uh, teacher just said to me, very, very kind of uh, low-key uh, when we had a parent-teacher interview, she said, you might, you might want to consider maybe just sort of investigating whether maybe um, there could be some ADHD, but, but I don't know, but you know, she was really like, and I'm like, oh, I was like, at that point, I was like, wow, the third and last of my children, and it's come from someone else, I'm like, what's this ADHD thing, right? This is three years ago. And give you, I'll give you a little bit more context. And this is just how much, like, I think it's indicative of how much, you know, uh, lack of awareness there was generally for so long, right? And I know there's been an explosion of awareness of ADHD, particularly on social media. But, um, and so at that point, I was like, oh, that's quite interesting. And then, so the context was like, my nephew had been diagnosed with ADHD 20 years ago or something, or like 15 years ago. But again, wow. I hadn't really connected the dots. And also on my father's side of the family, one of my cousins was the executive director of the then Asperger's Association of New Zealand, a non-profit. Again, oh, wow. I had okay. no idea, never connected the dots. So this is, was all in the background. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, you know, just I'll look into it. So I finally kind of took it a bit seriously and, you know, opened the browser and from then on, it was just this cascade of like, oh my God, that's me. You know, each of the points, the inattentive and some of the high it's like, oh, wow. And it was just, it, it, it had me. I was absolutely hooked of like these, this, you know, description of, you know, ADHD characteristics or symptoms was like, you know, someone was talking about me and knew me and my life. And I'm like, holy heck, I think I've got ADHD. So before I did, did anything for my kids, George, I decided I'd go and get an assessment myself. Okay. Um, and again, even at that point, it never really kind of hit me, you know, the hereditary factor, which some people put between 60 and 90%. 69% mm. um, likelihood of someone else in the family having ADHD. Um, now, I know that's also maybe related to other neurodivergences, but I'm not equipped to talk about those. I specifically talk about ADHD. Okay. And so, um, and so, yeah, so I got an, an assessment. It was very, very quick. It was very, seemed to be very obvious to the psychiatrist. And she was really, really underwhelmed at the appointment at how quickly I was diagnosed. And then I had that. Uh, and then I thought, right, now it's time for my children, right? I just thought I'd, you know. And uh, my daughter, since diagnosed with inattentive ADHD and still going through a process from, like, with my youngest, and I think inattentive as well. And so, you know, really, um, that was the start of a pivotal point of my life of really understanding who I was and really be able to accept who I was. And that was at 49, right? C can I just pause to celebrate that? I, 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 I thought I was a late diagnosis at 43. And mm -hmm. I interviewed a, a lady last week, actually, who was 58. You know, you're 49. Th th those moments, I think it's, 
I think it's tough for women with ADHD anyway. I think it's tough for everybody to have that diagnosis happen. And then you you reflect upon your life historically and you go, oh my God, what happened there? You know, and you 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 attribute ADHD to all those things, those those key moments in your life and your behaviors and so on and so forth. But but as a woman, you know, what I've learned over the last couple of months now is that, you know, it 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 must seem so much more complicated. Um, and and I don't know if you can talk a little bit about that yourself. I mean, it's fascinating that there's kind of four of you within a family unit as well. You know, I, I'd love to get into that subject as well, if I may. But but just in terms of you, you 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 kind of, and I don't know if you brushed over it, but you said I got myself diagnosed first, and then you know I went to my kids, and they're clearly very important to you. But I, I'm very interested at that moment where you were you were validated, you know, at 49 you've got ADHD, Annie. What did that mean to you individually, to you personally? Was there this big reflection or was there a, yeah, I knew it anyway, because I'd done the research. What what was the, what was going on there? Yeah. You know, um, it, it, it was all of those, right. And it was, you know, they say that often a diagnosis is a little bit like going through the grief process. You know, there's this like, oh, my gosh, you know, wow, um, there's the sadness, there's the anger, you know, there's, you know, the sadness for, you know, missed opportunities. Um, and you sort of go through this process to that sort of final sort of acceptance. Uh, and I really think that I went through that um, and it probably took me, you know, really at least a year. Um, and, you know, but I will say that I think one of the biggest pieces for me was this um, perhaps a, finally an explanation of why I felt I was severely underperforming and not not living up to my potential, right? And that is something that we hear very, very, um, you know, uh, you know, a lot. You know, it's a it's a very, very common refrain of people with ADHD of like. I know I'm capable of more, but I just can't do it or I just can't get there, which makes absolute sense, right? Because we know that ADHD impacts the prefrontal cortex, um, you know, the executive functioning part, which um, I call the chief operating officer, the COO. I think Ned Hallowell and John Rady call it the CEO of the brain. Um, mm. But yeah, so, you know, and that, so therefore that makes sense, right? Because that's that piece where we literally manage ourselves we activate for task we um you know pause on impulses we discern all that life management so therefore that makes sense right you've got someone with some innate potential but if it's like you've got like uh again this sort of ferrari car with bicycle brakes it's right you've got a ferrari of amazing potential but the you know the steering of it's not up to scratch so it's never going to, you know, speed or drive or perform like it could. And that's the chronic underpotential feeling of people with ADHD. That was probably the biggest thing for me because I, you know, I think I share about it on the internet, you know, website and stuff. Um, and I've been an executive coach and working with some phenomenal people, high potentials, you know. But mm -hmm. they were never high potential. They were actually high performers mm -hmm. because they could um do that they could take action on the things they needed to take they could do what they needed to do right 
and are you know over years and years working with them this just this gnawing and kind of growing kind of sense of you know being an imposter not good enough because I'm like why can't I do what my clients do right what's wrong with me <laughs> so that I hear was, that <laughs> George that was peaking interestingly just before my diagnosis so concurrently with my children coming to me there's just this sort of um shame the shame of what's wrong with me as I was you know supporting and coaching these, my, these incredible, you know, clients of mine who I dearly love and were doing amazing things and just thinking, yeah, I guess what's wrong with me? Because each year would clock in and clock out and I'm like, why aren't I where I want to be? I think that's been one of the biggest parts of realising, you know, of coming to terms with ADHD and knowing knowing what's going on and it made so much sense to me and that certainly did help me feel better. Yeah. Did you... So, so you, you you talked about the year post diagnosis for yourself as well. Was there a, much of a reflection on the past as well? I, I mean, other other people I've spoken to about this so far, and certainly myself included. I remember being um, called a naughty boy at school. Right, yeah. it was the atypical naughty boy. And in in England, I, I live in Ireland now, but when when I was at school in England, I, and I always tell this story, our report cards from school had some two columns. One was attainment, and one was effort. And all of my attainments were A for every subject, and all of my efforts were E. You know, yeah. categorically, I just did not pay any attention at all. But my brain was going so fast that actually the the knowledge input was so quick that it was school wasn't fast enough for me. You know, and, and I that that's not putting school down in any way, shape or form, yeah. because everybody learns at a different level. But one of the first things you said to me when you came on was, hey, ADHD people get there really quickly. And we do, right? We we make friends very quickly. We argue very quickly. We get over relationships very quickly and so on and so forth. Was there much of a reflection of, of times in your life at all that you want to just mention for anybody else, you know, out there who who maybe just pre-diagnosis themselves, because um, that's really what this web this podcast is about is yeah. is specifically that, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly that piece that you talk about, kind of getting there very quickly. I think that can be a real source of frustration, as for myself. And also my clients who are these fast thinkers connect the dots really quickly, really, really strategic, right? That can be a real pain point for them in their professional lives of that, mm. you know, kind of, you know, and there's an internal frustration, of course, that no one sees and it feels like you're boiling over. It's like, come on, hurry up, there's impatience, right? I'm already, I've already got it, I'm there. Where is everyone else, right? Um, absolutely. And of course, that how that can be expressed, I think, particularly in a classroom setting, is this boredom. It's like, you know, not things aren't moving fast enough. But just on that point, I want to say that I hate that word hyperactive, to be honest. It's got such a negative connotation. My 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 take on it is this. The hyperactivity, and obviously, you know, those of us who are inattentive as well, where there's an internal hyperactivity, it's not so visible, right? It's like we're built for movement. We're built for pace. We're built for momentum. We're built for that. That is when where we excel. 
right? So, in, it, you know, in environments where there's, you know, that's not um, welcome or it's not encouraged or we need to be patient, we need to wait, we need to be still, we need to wait till everyone's finished talking, we're da da you know, that's um, that's where our difference, I'm not going to say difficulties, I'm going to say that is where our differences show up. Now, that's really, really obvious in a young person, in a classroom setting. Um, and obviously, when we're older, we can get to perhaps choose, you know, our environments a bit more. We don't really get to choose when we're kids. No. And, uh, you know, this is the this is the difficult thing, I think, for me. And the sad thing is that, you know, schools at the moment don't cater for these human beings that thrive on a faster pace on movement and momentum so you know i mean if the if the environment was right would it wouldn't be hyperactive would it wouldn't be called no. hyperactive why would it be called hyperactive you know if you yeah so what were you going to say george no i was I, it, it's it's a very good point that you raise actually and if i may just just interject and and maybe go down a rabbit hole of something sure you say you just said schools are not equipped to cope what, what i've noticed is and certainly with my own son the school he goes to um well he has not he's 10 he hasn't been diagnosed formally but i i i know you know the same as you do know with your own kids right but they equip with a lot of movement breaks, a lot of movement breaks. So he's not sat still for more than 20 minutes before they have them up and around in the class or outside doing something. Yeah. So in New Zealand, in the society, and I hate that word, but in the, the cult, the New Zealand culture, and you, you, you're very active on the internet, on the socials. So you've, you've obviously reached out to the States, to the UK, to, to, to all over the world. Where do you see New Zealand in the grand scheme of things as far as societal acceptance of neurodiversity and specifically ADHD? Is it is it progressive? Is it behind the curve? What what's your opinion of that? Um, so yeah, it's uh I wouldn't call it progressive. Uh, and okay. particularly now with a uh, a right wing government that's been elected in, we now have some neurodivergence, neurodivergent policies in the education sector that's been completely canned. So we okay. had government for the last two terms. Obviously, I don't know if you probably heard of Jacinda Ardern. She was a little bit of a political celebrity, you know. And yes. of left wing government, you know, there there was some. Um, you know, some efforts towards really, um, you know, this much more kind of diversity and inclusion, right, or just, you know, b being much more accepting and, um, you know, accommodating um, of, you know, our differences. And I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not so positive at all now that that's um, going to be, um, you know, um, move forward with this new government so i would say we're behind maybe the bell curve on that um okay. and so I, that that's it's not a great place to be you know neurodiverse in new zealand new zealand is not a great place to be neurodiverse i mean you know look organizations mm. can have all the policies they want but at the end of the day that doesn't mean to say that they're going to have a culture of acceptance and inclusion um and so yeah, I would say that, you know, for example, at my youngest son's school, 
um, that whole scenario you just you just painted there about your son, you know, the short bursts of learning with lots of kind of maybe sensory or movement breaks or whatever you want to call them. Um, we had that happening for, we've had that in place for um, our son um, just uh, the last year, but that has been a special kind of thing that they've put in place, right? It's okay. special, no one else has it. He's not on medication, he's not diagnosed yet. But really, I would say that a move to more inclusion would be, that would be more of the mainstream way of teaching children rather than the exception. We know we all do better with movement. We mm. all do better with fresh air. We all do better in bursts, right? And this is the great, this is the thing about, um, you know, kind of this whole sort of idea of inclusion and diversity and accommodations. It's hilarious even to think of it as an accommodation because we know that these um, conditions and the environments that are better for people with ADHD are actually better for everyone you know, you know, kind of low sensory environments, lots and lots of breaks, lots of movement, short bursts, not meetings that go on endlessly. I mean, that's everyone benefits, right? And so there is so much to be gained by, you know, um, you know, the society at large, I think, to uh, move towards, you know, at the moment, you know, being more, you know, kind of like depositing more of these accommodations for neurodivergent people because ultimately they're better for everyone. And, you know, but I still, I'm not seeing that happen anytime particularly soon in New Zealand. Okay. You know, no, that, thank you for, yeah. yeah. No, thank you for answering that. I, I, it's, it's very interesting actually because living in Ireland next door to the United Kingdom, yeah. You know, I, I when I moved um, doctors about five years ago when I moved house and moved to a new doctor, the doctor actually refused to prescribe me Ritalin. He actually point blank. And I'd had a diagnosis for about eight years. And I said, here's my here's my records, you know, and he said, no, I won't do that here. And I ended up going back to my previous doctor and said, yeah. look, I'm sorry, I left. Um Ireland is not as progressive yet either. Um, I, I, I think maybe they will be. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed, they will. Tell me, medication for you as well. And and again, if you don't mind talking about your children, Annie, I'm I'm very happy to 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 include that in the conversation. But I know you may be protective of that for the purposes of 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 you know the, this podcast as well. So please please feel free to be as open or, or, or close as you want to be. Medication for you. Um, I, I take Ritalin LA, um, this one, um, if that's the right way yeah. around for you, uh, 20 milligrams. Um, I don't take it every day. Um, I take it on days when I have what I call stupid days. <laughs> um, for you, <laughs> what does that do? We've got to be, you've got to be self-deprecating. If you can't laugh at yourself, you'll cry. And I think exactly. you know, you're going to ask me. <laughs> oh, every day is a stupid day anyway. Yeah. But tell me about medication for you. The first time you, you took the medication, what did it, what does it do for you um, in terms of, you know, does it make it quiet? Does it, does it function, allow you to function? Does it get rid of the internal dialogue? What, what does it do for you uh, essentially to, to, to help? Um, yeah. First of all, I want to say for anyone listening to this and at that point of like maybe contemplating whether they have ADHD or a diagnosis or getting an assessment or something, uh, 
it, often it's not obvious what it's actually doing. It's when you stop taking it that you realize, well, my world feels quite different. So yes. it can be quite subtle. You know, there are some people that will say, oh my God, is this, you know, it's, it feels like I'm putting glasses on for the first time and I can see, right? So many people have that. Others, it's like, well, kind of a little bit like, what's the point? But then they, they don't take it for a bit or they have a couple of days off it and they really can feel quite different. So those differences can be, um, what I noticed for me was I took it for a bit. I didn't love it at first. Ritalin didn't work for me. I had to trial a couple of things and I'm now on another, another version of the Ritalin drug, which is methylphenidate, which is a stimulant. Yes. And so uh, Ritalin, for some reason, didn't work for me. But another brand of methylphenidate, which is called Concerta, does work for oh, me. Yes. So long acting, and I think that's 36 milligrams I take and one a day. And if I take that at 10 in the morning, that covers me till 6 p.m. at night. And that wear off, where it's wearing off, is quite subtle. For, I felt for, with Ritalin, it was a lot kind of jar, more jarring for me, and I felt a little bit. Yes. But what does it help me do? Um so here's the thing. Ultimately, there's two things I think that medication is useful for me. It helps me do the things that I don't want to do, right? So the, the less stimulating, boring things, I'm able to more, I'm more able to will myself into doing it, right? So, and why is that? Because the medication, stimulant medication, raises the levels of dopamine in someone with ADHD or, you know, I mean, it's quite complex, but this is in really simple language, right? It gives mm. us more active, um, more access to action-taking neurochemicals like dopamine, right? So I'm able to do the thing that I don't want to do. I mean, in neurotypicals, you remember that Nike ad, Just Do It, in the 90s or the early aughts? I do. Or do you remember the Just Do It? So, you know, I, I always sort of thought, what do you mean just do it? I can't just do it. I've got to like it to just do it. That was years ago. I used to think that was such a dumb campaign. I had no idea it was ADHD. So the, the medication I've does lost you. to just do it better, easy, more easily. Making sense? It is, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I don't, I think um, I lost you, but I know the recording software will have captured that actually. So um, keep 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 going, but um, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So it enables me to be able to will myself into doing the hard stuff. And gotcha. the hard stuff for us ADHDers is often not complex stuff. It's easy, you know, kind of routine, boring stuff. That's our repetitive. Heart. Isn't it? Yes. Exactly. Right. So medication helps me to get into some of that stuff and just tend to just do it like that Nike campaign. So that's one of the major benefits. Um, and the second major benefit for me is helping slow down my rate of reactivity. So I don't get completely overwhelmed by flooding or intense reactivity right, to things that I have, you know, a, a, um, a strong reaction to, I feel kind of have a, a strong emotion to, you know, my kids 
you know, playing up or not doing what they're asked of me, um, something not working and feeling frustrated. Because, you know, the, that's the other piece is it like helps us, you know, uh, medication helps us to apply or regulate the breaks in our brain, right? Just to regulate our responses. So that's been really useful for me too. It's helped contain some of that emotional intensity or those big reactions. So they're the two big pieces for me with medication. The interesting thing That's is, That's interesting, George, actually. Yeah. 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 Can thinking? I ask the question, and, and this came up in another conversation um, recently as well. Um, I, I've taken Ritalin, you know, regularly for, for the last 10 years, actually 11 years now. And what I what I started to do was to take it first thing in the morning at, at 8 o'clock, and by about 4 o'clock it was kind of wearing off. And then I'd come home, you know, from work and spend time with the family. And I was kind of slightly grumpy because of it, you know. And and what I'd learned was if I took it later, my family benefited from my meds as well, you know, yeah. um, and, and, and stuff like that. So I, I was kind of interested. I, I always wanted – it's not describing it as my best self on Ritalin. I'm describing it as other people get the benefit of me being able to function correctly with them without having that reactive behavior is that something you've considered as well notice you said you you take it at about 10 o'clock absolutely yeah so you know taking it at 10 means that i've got up till about 8 p.m at night where i've got access to more regulation which is good for me and good for others as in my children and so you're absolutely right you know um Look, but we're also different. You know, I know people that can't get out of bed without taking their medication, so they really, really need it um, to, to get going, to get into the day, and I really appreciate that. You know, we're all different, and we all have different sort of, you know, um, you know, kind of experiences and degrees of ADHD kind of symptomology. Um, but absolutely, that's, you know, that, that's a smart way of um, approaching it of, you know, that when, when, when is the best time to take it? And, you know, often, you know, I mean, I've got my own business, so I can kind of start a little bit later. And, you know, I don't have to be, you know, on the tools or opening the laptop at 7am necessarily, I can kind of start work a little bit later. So yeah, for me to be able to take it a little bit later, but it's certainly worth considering for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And and uh, sorry, our video is kind of out of sync at the moment, but that that's okay too. Oh, no, so not, we'll uh, yeah. we'll 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 keep chatting away. But in terms of you know a lot of ADHD people who are very successful and indeed successful, however you choose to define that, relatively speaking, is you know tend to be entrepreneurs or they, they they run their own small businesses enabling them to create their own environment are you is that the reason you do what you do again being an executive coach and, a, and an adhd coach you know in your career that's a really admirable thing to do and you know it certainly helps people but is that why you're not, say, in a corporate world, in an office with lots of people? Is it you'd like to control your own environment or, or is it something else? Yeah, look, absolutely. I think one of the gifts of, um, you know, the ADHD neurotype, if you're going to look at it from that perspective, is that we are, we're not averse to risk taking. 
we're very experiential. We learn by doing. So what, what, what that means is that then we need to do the thing in order to get the data or the feedback, right? Now, when we're working in a big or we're working in, in another, you know, it's enough, someone else's system or a big system where we don't have that agency to operate like we, you know, need to or learn as we need to and all that and take, you know, kind of operate quite quickly, that's really, really frustrating. So for me, I've, you know, corporates, you know, short stints, but I've always known intuitively that's not the right a preference to work with people who also can, um, you know, innovate and take risks and take action quite quickly, which is why I absolutely have clients in corporate and in the public sector. I've got quite a few clients, um, you know, uh, and their incredible frustrations working in such bloated kind of systems um, like government, that can be really, really hard. But I do tend to have a lot of people who, you know, have run their own gig because, you know, that's, uh, you know, that they're drawn to that and they really, really need to. They need to be able to work at their own pace. So it makes so much sense that many people in the business world have, you know, are ADHDs. Yeah. Do you find that? Tell me where you've got one of the reasons i set this particular podcast up was because i, I myself considered myself to be reasonably successful and and you know and, and again that that phrase is very relative right it, it's relative to me it, it's it's it, you know and and the people i've met have varying levels of success and it's in spite of their adhd and i i, I set it up because certainly over here in europe annie you know, you 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 see the organisations. They talk about ADHD as a, as a, almost a negative, a deficit. I hate that word deficit. It, it drives me insane. But you know, you you hear the statistics of you know you're five times more likely to go to prison, get involved in criminal activity through risk taking. You know, or you you know men are five times more likely to commit suicide and so on and so forth, as well as women, right? And and while that is very real environmentally and statistically speaking having adhd doesn't mean you have to go down that path you can turn it around and and actually live a very good quality life i believe you know and uh, and, and 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 thrive with adhd and can we just talk about that from a second from your perspective as well i'd be very interested to understand what you think have you met people that have actually seriously turned themselves around with their ADHD or you know have you seen somebody who was successful who's gone the other way as well and again I'm very conscious that things in the world of ADHD happen very quickly you know god you know that word successful trying to sort of you know it is so incredibly subjective yes and I you know I mean it's hard to find a, a better term for that but and, and we all understand what it means so it's kind of like you know you know it, it's the it's probably the best you know kind of one but it's like you know people will probably look at me or I, I know that I've got friends and family that look at me and think I'm successful right and I as I do other people but I think you can look successful but are you successful if you don't feel it Right. And I think the thing with ADHD is to get to, you know, to achieve what we want to achieve. It takes so much more effort, I think, than a neurotypical. 
So even though you might, you know, uh, have the same results or, you know, um, you know, attain, you know, similar things or, you know, look certainly like you've, you know, got, you know, um, you know, to a, a level that other people admire. There's this, always this, I'm a fake, people don't realise I'm actually a bit stupid, um, I'm lazy, um, you know, that there's this whole internal experience that others don't realise is going on that leads, I think, to many of us walking around with just this constant gnawing of an imposter and a fraud, right? If only people knew yeah i'd agree with that if actually very much the case I, I think you know i think it was bob dylan struggle you know, the, the, the definition of success and and maybe the you know that that's the, the the wrong phrase but the definition of success that he uses is you know if you wake up in the morning and you do exactly what you want to do and you know you go to bed having looked upon the day having done exactly what you want to do you're successful so it doesn't matter if you're laying bricks or you know you're plowing a field or you've written a computer program or yeah. you've written a book or or whatever right that's the key that i think that's the key as a, and and you you're doing what you want to do um, now that could be, you know, it doesn't have to be an admirable thing. It doesn't have to be something that's, you know, that that's necessarily the right thing to do, or it doesn't have to be moral. It doesn't have to be ethical. It's just a subjective definition for you of what that is. And, you know, again, I'd like people to be able to look at this podcast, listen to this podcast and get perspectives from people personal stories from people who you know feel they are i wake up in the mornings and I go geez i am such a fake i don't know if i can even talk about adhd i'm so stupid right i i have no idea and yet i listen to talk to people like you and others who share similar experiences and actually it 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 it, it prompts me to think wow, you know, I kind of do know a little bit more than I thought and I've experienced it for a number of years and I'm quite comfortable with that and I want to share that with other people. So I, I feel that's kind of important. And, you know, the, the the commentary that I'm getting back from these types of conversations, you know, from others is, wow, thank you for those sound bites of information, those little gems of, of uh, you know, from your guests, George, that that, you know, people from all over the world are giving that have just let me think about myself in a, that I'm not a failure, you know, that, that I'm not a failure. That's the phrase I'm hearing, you know? So, um, I, I, I'm with regard to your, your children, um, having a family unit for ADHD is essentially how, how is that for you? And as a mother, I, I'm certain being a mother is the toughest thing in the world anyway. You know, you're yes. not you're not just the provider. You know, you you you're the safety keeper, you're the peacekeeper. You're, you you have so many hats there. But with with that, you know, inattentive thing, I I often think I have days when I go, do you know, I'm the coolest dad there is. I'm the only dad who plays Fortnite with my son and all his friends online, right? You know, I'm the only dad. Um, and then other times I just think I'm the biggest failure of a father that the, the the world has ever seen how does that work for you Annie yeah you know I think this is related to the piece around success um I'm sorry George my um 
my video seems to be freezing a little bit, but anyway, we'll just keep going. Um, That's okay. Don't worry. Yeah. So uh, um, I should think it's because my son's awake and he's he's now on the internet. <laughs> oh, don't worry. No, no, no. It's fine. The the um, the software we're using, by the way, will will stitch that all together. So when we get the final version, it won't show as being like this at all. So don't worry. Yeah. So there's this quirk. I think I call it a quirk about ADHD and it's this thing um, I heard, I don't know who I heard it from, but it's this, we have success amnesia, right? So what we mean by that, what I mean by that is that we've got this default wiring, brain wiring that is, you know, it's, it, it's wired to appraise ourselves negatively, right? to remember all the failings and all the bad stuff, right? Right? And so it forgets the good stuff really, really quickly, right? So we're in a, we have a moment, right? Whether that's be a, a, as a parent or a, in a professional moment, something happens, it's not a great moment, and we connect all the dots like the speed of lightning of, to, to all the other failures as well. And in that moment, it's like, God damn it, I'm just, you know, such a bad parent. I'm a useless coach. I'm never going to make it. Or speed of lightning, right? So quick. We're not going, you know, well, hang on a minute. This is just one time out of the last three weeks. You've had a really great three weeks, Annie. Remember when, boom, 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 boom. We're not, we're not remembering the good stuff. And I think that that's part of the issue with this whole success thing, right? It's that we forget our achievements, right? They're gone. We're really, really wired for that negative self-appraisal. And I think if there's one thing that we really need to work on as people with ADHD, it's that piece. It's ways to remember, to bring in some perspective and context in those hard moments, right? So we can mm. disrupt we can disrupt that cycle of I'm not good enough, I'm a failure, I'm useless, which happens just like that. And we can disrupt that and 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 spend less time there and have ways in which to remember, well, hang on a minute, right? Um, you know, and bring some perspective in. So it's this thing, it's a shame that we don't have failure amnesia. We do have success amnesia, but it's to be able to disrupt that cycle of, you know, I'm a crap parent or I'm a whatever, you know, however it plays out for each of us. That yeah. is such a key piece to work on, I think, for us and probably one of the biggest things. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing, actually. And, and I, I think certainly time is a is a is a big thing with certainly with, with myself and people I've met you know the the classic being late thing um I actually have the opposite of that I have time anxiety so if somebody says to me hey George we're gonna we're gonna meet at, actually it's 7 p.m in Dublin to do yeah. to record a podcast the the previous five hours are totally useless to me I can't function because I'm one massively excited about recording a podcast because yeah. there's this appointment and, you know, and, and all of these things, but nothing else happens in, in the previous part of the day. And I have to set alarms for myself to achieve stuff because otherwise I'll just completely forget it because I'm focused on this one thing. 
So what I have to do myself is I have to set alarms throughout the day. Um, you know, I've got the classic Pomodoro, you know, the yeah. one, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the timer for various things for time boxing. But if you said to me, I would forget, you know, a funeral. I'm not kidding. I'd forget. I forgot my son to pick him up from school on a number of occasions. Right. And it's like, oh, shit, what happened there? You know, it's like because I allowed myself to get distracted by something else and I went down a rabbit hole. So I get very anxious about time and, uh, and, and, and as a result of that. But how is time for you? Are you more able to cope with it? Do you have a strategy? What, what's that for you, Annie? Well, yeah, I would just interesting to hear that you say that because it's like I think we can overcompensate and that's a mask. It's a way, it's one of the ways we mask with our, um, you know, our difficulties with time. Um, You know, what do I, well, I do, you know, my whole entire life has been um, basically built on the 11th hour. (laughs) 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 Reports, everything, Um, you know, using adrenaline to kick my, you know, self into action, right. To activate. Um, and you know, that's, that's just the world over. I think many of us or most of us have kind of like operate that way. Um, so, you know, I, I do use that. I think that, you know, uh, or bringing someone into a project or, you know, um, making appointments with people, I'm more likely to respect time when there's someone else involved. Um, so that's, that's really, really useful. Um, but, you know, look at the end of the day, it's my iPhone, it's my calendar, it's multiple alarms, um, and it's my, you know, the, the native notes app on, on Apple, you know, the iPhone. Um, basically, yeah. my second brain. I do not know where, where I'd be without my my iPhone, my tech. Yeah, so lots and lots of alarms. Um and and you know and i think doing things with others and collaborating with others has me much more conscientious around time george does that make sense it does actually yeah do you have you know as as a coach you you coach people but do you have a, a your own support network um you know either network you know either locally or on the internet that that you kind of turn to that you 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 body doubling people yeah. if you want to use that phrase do you do you have any of that support yeah. for yourself so absolutely i'll you know so i'll use body do- doubling tools like focusmate one of my favorite um, but uh, yeah, um, a, a virtual assistant um, working with someone. One of the key changes that I made in my business, George, uh, in the last couple of years, particularly re- knowing I've got ADHD, was making the decision to do very, very few things on my own and do more things with other people. So partnering and collaborating with others. That was a key difference because... Doing, you know, being a lone ranger is, it's comfortable for me because no one gets to see my executive dysfunction, but really, really held me back. I know that I'm so much better when I'm working with someone, and we know that's the case with ADHD, um, that we're better together. We're better doing something alongside someone else, right? Um, Which always cracks me up, the whole idea of like this, you know, 
body doubling being the kind of little bit of the you know latest craze in, in the ADHD world. But the truth is, there's nothing new about it. Humans have been doing things with humans for a millennia. What's new now is the solo endeavors since the internet, the gig economy, you know, COVID, the pandemic, working, you know, much more at home. That's what's new. And that's been, you know, that's the dark side, I think, for those of us with ADHD. So, you know, we really need to think about how we can do more with others or bring people in, whether like, you know, that's the body doubling act, like focus mate, hiring people, working alongside, partnering, much more of that is so much better for us and much healthier. That yeah, makes sense. I, yeah. I agree completely with that. Absolutely. Look, we're pack animals, I think. I think we're, Absolutely. you know, yeah, we totally. are. Um, yeah. separating ourselves from others is not not necessarily a good thing um i always ask this question if i could snap my fingers and magically make your adhd disappear would you i don't know george i don't know the annie i don't know who annie would be without adhd no it's a really hard question because there's certainly parts of ADHD, which, you know, aren't easy, um, particularly emotional regulation. Um, and I think that that's, that's difficult, but I don't know who Annie would be without that, you know, I call it just, you know, having a rich emotional life and, you know, you know, being empathetic and connecting with others and kind of enthusiastic and, just everything. Like I feel like ADHD, we see life in vibrant colour. I don't know if I would. I I don't no. think I would because I don't know who that person would be, George. What yeah, about you? I, no, a hundred percent no. I, I I I've thought about it a lot, and I've never met anybody with ADHD who says I don't want it. I don't want it in me. Even though, you know, even in the dark days of despair, of of emotional dysfunction, you know, you know, whether it be tantrums, temper, outrage and and and, and shame and, and all of those negative connotations that, that we know exist with ADHD, I still would never be without it because on those days when I'm connecting those dots and those stories are so fluid it's such an incredible way of being that that I would never ever want that to be gone, and and actually I would love to be able to take, uh, not that there is such a thing as a neurotypical, but somebody who doesn't have it to just for one day feel what that feels like. I would love to be able to do that. You know. Yeah, you know, George, and one of my clients. Um, She's an aspiring, um, you know, leader in the education industry. And she says that, well, was after doing a little bit of work together and we were talking, you know, well, I always do, we always do a strengths and challenges audit, right? And we were looking through the strengths lens and she said, you know what? I realise, Annie, that being ADHD has made me the funnest, best history teacher, high school history teacher all my kids do well in history, which has historically, historically been quite a boring, dry subject, the way it's been taught. She said, I realise that my passion and enthusiasm uh, helps them so much engage with the past and make meaning of it, 
make it interesting. And she said, yeah, I'm really, really grateful for that part about being ADHD as I really think that that's part of what makes me be a really great teacher. So, mm. you know, that's the piece, right? Just like you were saying, George, it's like, you know, who would who would want that gone? Who would want to erase that? You, you very simply wouldn't. Uh, I think Ned Hallowell's the guy who says, you know, I was on a, a, a Zoom call with him a couple of weeks back and he said, look, you know, what you have to do with people with ADHD is find out what lights up their brain and let, just let them go. Just just okay. let them head off in that direction and they'll never stop. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. Listen, Annie, I've got one more question for you, if that's okay. Um, yes. Just, you know... What's your future as a as a professional ADHD ADHD coach? You know, as a mother, where do you see yourself going? What what you know? We're all still learning. Um, me probably more than most, I think, in in terms of being a better person. But do, do you see? You know, do you, do do you have a, a to do more of the same, or is there a, a kind yeah. of tangential goal? What what is it for you? Okay, yeah. It's a great question. It's a hilarious question too, because as ADHDers, we're not particularly good at seeing into the future. We're really great with now. But I do have given this some thought, um, because I do have a great ADHD coach myself. Um, uh, I think he, that that thing that Ned just said that you quoted from Ned, it's about yeah. you know, it's helping people, you know, people with ADHD, you know. Um, whatever it's them knowing what lights them up and just letting them go right or whatever and I think the other thing that Ned says which I think is really really key is it's about stellar environments right so it's about the right conditions and having an environment where we can just be our best right and we can be ourselves and I think about you know kind of the society we live in and I think about, you know, my clients and I'm working with them individually and also do group work as well. And I, and I sort of think it's all very well and good to empower this person with this awesome fundamental knowledge about themselves and some tools to kind of, you know, manage some of the not so helpful quirks of ADHD. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, if they can't, if they're not in an environment that supports them being them, um, what good is that? Uh, so I actually think that, you know, it's actually not on the individual. It's on everyone else. It's on employers. It's on organizations. It's on schools. It's on universities, right? To mm. be more accepting and really understand what ADHD is. So my future, I think, is more in that space of that, you know, um, raising awareness and ways in which we can bring more neuro diversity into a life into you know into all these environments and you know um human ecosystems because that's better for everyone right i mean if you think let's face it most of silicon valley will be on the autism and adhd spectrum most of them and when Absolutely. we think about one of those you know kind of you know more well-known People with ADHD, you know, we've got the Richard Bransons and the Steve Jobs and the a lot of the kind of creatives and all that. I mean, yeah, it, it's who wouldn't want someone like that on their team? Well, I, I, I am in complete agreement. I think 
the world needs people who are going to progress forward. And and I, I often use the analogy, you know, Christopher Columbus, when he was going across the Atlantic Ocean and the rest of the planet was saying, the rest of the, the country was saying, hey, you know, you're going to fall off the edge of the world, man. What's going on here? You know, this is crazy stuff. And he was like, no, come on, let's go. You know, we've got to find out what's over there. If he did not have a neurodiverse mindset or, exactly. or brain, I don't know who did. Yeah. Thank you so much. I have enjoyed this last hour so much. It's it's you you've a beautiful perspective uh, and a great personality. It's lovely to meet somebody from from the other side of the world, even though the world is a small place. And and you've been a delight to talk to. Thank you. Thank you, George. Well, I hope that your listeners will get some, maybe a, a snippet or two that's useful from what I've shared today and what we've both shared today. Yeah. Indeed. Awesome. You're a delight. I'm just going to press stop, actually. And if you just hang on for a sec, if that's okay, I'm just going to stop now.